Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group, a roundtable with our partner, Veterans Legislative Voice. August is National Wellness Month. Be well. Saturday, August 13th, 2022, our host is Cliff Kelly. My name is Sean Claiborne. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. We have our partner on the line, Ms. Stephanie Collada. She's a U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant, first class, a veteran and founder of the and creator of the Veterans Legislative Voice. How are you doing, Stephanie? Doing great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We had this this historic legislation that has been passed the other day. We have uh, the, yes. the PACT Act, the Promise to Address uh, uh, Comprehensive Toxins Act, which yeah. is something that is you know something we've needed for a long, long time for decades. Um, mm-hmm. think maybe we could do things more, do things a little bit better going forward in the future. But this is at least a step in the right direction. So, what do we have to talk about? What is the first thing you want to bring up about this? Well, there's been a lot of contention ever since there was the issue in the Senate. So um, Honoring Your PACT Act is a really great thing. It is a very, it's a landmark um, act and bill for many veterans that's going to be included, not just post 9-11, but this includes Gulf War veterans as well. They are also establishing a presumption for eight and two more conditions for Agent Orange. Um, so it's really big and awesome. But what happened uh, a couple weeks ago was when the Senate had... Uh, the Republicans of the Senate side had changed their vote from yay to nay. They had already voted on this bill, but there was an ad that had a, that was an addition to the bill that they didn't agree with, and there was a couple of different things to go on with that. What was the addition? I heard I heard about that. I remember, and I saw the video of Pat Toomey, a senator from uh, Pennsylvania, who was complaining yeah. about yeah. you know money being there was mandatory uh, funding versus discretionary funding. He was talking about. Which didn't make a whole yes. lot of sense to me, but I mean, but what was the real, what was put in and taken out, or what was the issue? Okay, so the so uh, for funding for bills and acts and laws, basically you must have to um, specify whether the funding for these things are mandatory or direct, which was the original term that they used for this in the bill, or discretionary, which kind of falls into the category of nice to have. Mm-hmm. Um, if we got enough money, we'll use it. And that was actually discretionary ter- um, term for this funding was never actually in the bill at any point. It was actually direct spending. Uh, so what they did when it went to the, the bill has gone back and forth between the House and the Senate because they kept adding edits and basically clarifying and adding uh, things to correct some issues in there. So they changed it from direct to mandatory for the funding. And one of the reasons why they did this was because um, it was for a $400 billion funding for VA infrastructure. Uh, A couple months back, there was a uh, commission to actually study all the infrastructure for the VA and what would be coming forward in with predictions on where the veterans will be, what things that we need in the future, 
uh, whether they're dying out in some locations or they're grown in another location, those type of things. That commission was actually uh, put in place from the Mission Act of 2018. And so the VA had to brief Congress. Well, this recommendation list also included the closure or the down, downgrade of uh, veterans hospitals and clinics because the populations are dwindling and they foresee it going even lower. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people became upset with that. Legitimately, honestly, if I yeah. if I found out my VA was downgrading or getting smaller, I would be upset because that means my care, my individual care would probably diminish. So I understand that. But the thing is, is that they also canceled the entire commission on everything. So the improvements that the VA recommended was canceled. Hmm. And so this funding that was added in there, which Pam Toomey has also implied that it's pork barrel spending, and also Ted Cruz said the same thing, that it's pork barrel spending and it's not for veterans. Well, actually, it is for veterans because it's for the infrastructure. It's opening and leasing of buildings for outpatient clinics. And the funny part that I love to say about the, uh, I like to point out about the pork barrel spending um, accusation is that some of these outpatient clinics and leasing of federal buildings for the VA is actually in some of the states of the senators that voted no against the bill. Right. You have a lot of military installations and a lot of clinics in the red states. The thing that I, the thing that was, I thought was (laughs) weird is that, so walk me through this process. So from what I understood from, from his argument, Pat Toomey's argument, was that um, if, if it goes to being considered what he, would, what he said was mandatory spending, that there would be yeah. um, no cap on spending. So then, so they would have, a, I'm assuming, a budget every year of this is what we're going to allocate for this particular purpose, for something like the PACT Act. Mm-hmm. And then when that budget, yeah. but that budget could go into whatever need, it needs to be. So mandatory spending are things that the government has to pay for. They don't, there is no debate or argument. It has to be done, which to me sounds like, yeah, veteran taking care of veterans' health and taking care of veterans' needs, that's something you have to do. It's not something that should be, oh, do we have the money this week or not? Oh, well, no, the government's going to shut down next week anyway, so no, no, no payments today. It should be something yeah. that's mandatory, in my yeah. opinion, from what I see. Now, but I think what he was – it seemed like what he was trying to say was is that, well, what if there's more money than what's necessary? then that extra money could be used for anything. If it could be used for, you know, pork belly spending, building a new road or doing whatever, stuff that's not necessarily related to veterans. Is there any validity to what he, to that argument, what he said? No. Because, uh, I, and I, I push anyone that uh, do not agree with me to look up the PAC Act on Congress.gov because you can read the most up-to-date uh, text on there, and it's... Um, Oh, goodness. It's Senate Bill uh, 3373, I believe, because I'm looking at uh, the comparison bill or the companion bill right now. Apologies. But the Senate Bill uh, 3373 has included specifically the funding towards the buildings, towards the leasing of buildings. And the thing is, is that um, Secretary McDonough had already put in all of these recommendations. They already have done the studies on how much it's going to cost. So that's what's put it, put forward. Um, often when the there is money left over, that is also either held over or they use it for something else. And honestly, Port Bell spending is a very poor accusation for it because why would you vote for a bill that would actually bring clinics to your state 
and add more uh, employment. It would support your veterans better. I don't understand that complete argument that he tries to make there. It seems kind of confusing. Like I said, at best, I mean, yeah. it was confusing at best. I mean, and there's unfortunately a lot of misinformation out there. And I think you've done a good job of dispelling what was going on because you answered the question direct, which did make a lot of sense from Jump Street. Almost to me, it looked like a stall tactic. That's all I'd read it yeah. as, you know, in the from from the from the time he stood up to the time he sat down. You know, that was basically a stall tactic to keep this from going through, or maybe they change it in some kind of way, or get something else added to it. Maybe they wanted or whatever. Who knows what the real uh, deal is? Well, deal no, there's actually. There's actually a couple of theories on that, and of course it's coming from the Democrats, but the thing is is that um, Senator Chuck, uh, Chuck Schumer had actually completed a deal for that um, the Inflammation Act that includes climate change uh, things, it includes health care and a lot of other things. Well, they were able to get a deal to get it passed, and um, Minority Leader McConnell, Mitch McConnell, did not realize that they were successful with this. Mm. So there was a number of senators that had followed his lead in voting against this bill. Ah. So some, yes. So some people see this as retaliation, um, which of course had a big backlash. And so it, it was a very contested, very uh, interesting situation. And if you guys had seen um, the video, the recording of the vote that they did, um, a lot of people point out, Ted Cruz had actually fist bumped with another Republican senator, and I'm trying to remember his name, um, right after he voted nay for the veterans. Wow. Yeah, a lot of people were pissed about that. It's it's sad. Politics never ends. So the thing of it is, is that, I mean, this this had a lot of national attention, and it seemed, I think, Mm -hmm. to, to most people, to the average American, it seemed like something that was so deplorable that veterans who were having difficulty breathing and who were also being diagnosed with cancer were having difficulty getting the treatment and care that they needed to live. Yes. Yes. And the, the, the I mean, the thing I'm really happy about this bill though, is that it, it includes um, a well-rounded broad spectrum of cancers that you could get by serving in the Gulf war or post nine 11 operations. Um, I mean, they include head cancers of any type, neck cancers of any type, respiratory, uh, gastrointestinal, even reproductive cancers, which is a big one for the women veterans because that should include breast cancer, uterine cancer, a lot of other things that they have actually have a higher increase, higher um, possibility of uh, developing. Uh, breast cancer, I've said it before, they have women veterans and really all veterans have the um, increased risk by 20 to 40 percent of developing breast cancer. Wow. And that, so on that note, and, I mean, it's something I mean, definitely we have to acknowledge all the people that, that passed away. And, and before this, that was ever even um, something that passed. This bill was actually on the books. I mean, a lot of veterans, thousands of veterans have passed away. Um, I have no idea. I couldn't even begin to, to even fathom, you know, how many, maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even of people that passed away because they didn't either know about it and they got sick, mm-hmm. or they knew about it and trying to get treatment but couldn't get the aid that they needed. And then all the thing, too, was that they also got to point out is that, you know, the, the I have to really give Jon Stewart credit. Yes. He did a lot. I mean, for a lot of crap he gets for being a comedian and blah, 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 and stuff like that and doing fake news and making fun of the news, that was something really, really courageous and really honorable, I mean, for him as a veteran and to thank him, you know, for doing that and taking the time and attention 
to get to know this this topic and this problem. And going on a on, on a using his platform, using the, the influences and the and the connections he's got to really bring attention to this issue. Yes, you know, and, it's, and, and it's top, amazing. And, and the families too, the families that you know that the you know that 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 have passed that have created all these foundations and organizations around this topic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a veteran to note um, is Dr. Kate Thomas Hendricks. She was a uh, Marine uh, officer, and she deployed to Iraq. And after she got out, she actually went and got her Ph.D. She was a mental health professional, so she had advocated for mental health for veterans for a while until um, her doctor had suggested that she gets uh, a check a checkup. Um, or uh, a monogamous, I cannot pronounce it right, but for just a check for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, why? I'm only 34. And the doctor is like, yeah, but I've been seeing a lot of women younger than 40 uh, actually having breast cancer. So let's do a check. She had stage four breast cancer wow. after they finished it. And then they had to do, because it was stage four, that's uh, metastatic. So they did an MRI scan of her entire body. And it was, she had cancer from the top of her head to the bottom of her toes. And her doctors had said it was like they dipped her in a vat of toxic chemicals Wow! uh, because it was everywhere. She passed, sadly, April, this past April at 38, and she left behind her husband and children. And it's so sad. And a lot of people keep fighting in her name because of it. Wow, and then the Torres family, um, the Rosie Torres, Leroy Torres in Texas, I believe they're from, who yeah. had an issue with this, and they were trying to, her husband couldn't get benefits and was fighting and fighting and created a whole movement around it. Then the doctor, mm-hmm. Dr. Robert Miller from Vanderbilt, who started looking at stuff and saying, hey, that, that looks kind of funny, was that there? And they started, you know, finding out, and then I guess they came out with the diagnosis of the, I still don't understand, I think it was restrictive bronchitis, I think it's called. Yes, well, there's a, num- there's a number of rare um lung conditions and lung cancers that um, veterans that have gone to the Middle East contract at a higher rate. I don't, I cannot find the numbers for it, but it's pretty darn high. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, at least, at least 40% of the, I have found the numbers of how many have claimed for lung conditions from their tours to the Middle East. And that is 40% of all veterans that had deployed. Hmm. They filed for something that has to do with respiratory and lungs. Now, you were deployed. Now, do you do you have yes. concerns for your own health and safety? Yes, uh, very much so. Um, I had actually had a, a weird reaction after I came back. I actually developed allergies to a lot of different things that I never was allergic to before. So it's really weird. I'm allergic to yeast, eggs, eggplants, celery, um horses, cockroaches, dogs. I've never been allergic to any of those things. I've actually used to live with all of those things. Um, so, That's yes, I feel, like a t- I feel like a t- ticking time bomb, and I actually had to go through um, a test because a friend of mine had recently developed um, stage 4 esophageal cancer. He called me up because we've deployed and worked in the same areas, and so I asked him, I'm like, hey, I've got this weird thing happening. Is that similar? And he said, yep. So I went in, and thankfully my doctors took it very seriously, got me referred off to the right people, got the endoscopy and a ton of different things, and I got checked, and I'm fine, but I got to go in every so often to get checked anyways just in case, and it's so scary. 
And the thing about it is, like a lot of people don't understand who are not, who've never been in the military, is that you can be exposed to something in your 20s that may yeah. not affect you to your, like in your 50s or 60s. And when you're young, yeah. coming back from deployment or coming back out of the, or getting discharged from the military, you don't, you're not, when you're young and you're healthy, you don't really think about what your life is going to be like 20, 20, 30 years down the road. You're just you're living life and doing your thing, trying to, you know, become a civilian again. And the next thing you know, you're, you're having all that, your body's falling apart at 45 and you're like, what's going on? Yep. I mean, you're talking to someone that was uh, critically injured at 22, uh, recovered, I thought, and then I kept getting it re-injured after my tours. And uh, I'm fully disabled now because of the injury I've had to my neck and head. Hmm. And it's pretty scary at times. Uh, Yeah, I got hit by a drunk driver, uh, which had made things worse. So people don't realize that those little things can affect you so far in the future. It's crazy. So how possible, we, and we've talked about this in the past, and I go on my soapbox again, and I say this because, yeah. you know, the the issue that I have is, and um, and it's, and it's kind of confusing, I think, and I, I think about this, and I've had conversations outside the show about this. I think it's confusing to, to people that are that are civilians, even people that are in the military who've never really had or mm-hmm. used a VA system and don't know all the, and how it is different everywhere around the country. It's not the same in every state. It's not the same in every city. Um, no. The... There, why is it that we have to prove that what you, if you're feeling an ailment or you have this, this, something that's documented that says, okay, you definitely have something that's wrong with you, why do you have to prove that that's service-connected? Why is that process even in place? The, the PACT Act is, an, is a bill that actually says for this specific situation, when it comes to toxic exposure, you don't have to prove. Yep. It's presumptive that you were there and that you got it. Why do we have to presume anything for any type of situation? If you've already signed up and you provide, spent your time in the military and you put your body at stake, I can be an NFL athlete. Yep. Okay? And I can go be in the NFL and I can, I, I mean, if I can, I could have uh, had not been injured not one time and I was on the football field, but if I step out and break my finger at a cocktail party, guess NFL's paying for that 20, 30 years later. They don't care. They're going to get your cover for life. Yeah, because you're also winning them a whole ton of money. Uh, but it's basically they had started writing it uh, based off of the regular civilian disability and um, like workers' comp- compensation. They had uh, compared that standard to that uh, that they use on the civilian side. Because, you know, um, I used to work at a, uh, a greenhouse and I had tripped over one of the carts and busted my knee and I had workman's comp. I went and got that checked out. And if I had permanent damage to that, I would get compensated, but that's that's how they have wrote the standard. And I knew you were going to bring this up again because I found this congressional bill, and it's called Guaranteeing Healthcare Access to Personnel Who Served Act, House Bill four six two four, and this would amend Title thirty eight of the United States Code to improve access to healthcare for veterans and other purposes. It's a long bill, and I hope to do more of a study of it another time, but I wanted to point that out to you because I know that's something that that you advocate for. Yeah, because, I mean, my thing is if you – and going back to to the NFL, because I already know you got the haters out there going to say, well, you know, they're they're, scoring touchdowns, man. That's so important. Like, they're making all this money and stuff. (laughs) I mean, how can you compare the two? Well, people are dying for this country. For that guy to be able to catch that ball, thank a veteran. Yeah. Yeah, you're not kidding about that one. Uh, gosh, so that, yeah. so the sacrifices that people and it's, this is this is this is you're putting your body literally putting your body at in harm's way 
in a situation mm-hmm. where you know going in, they tell you you may not come back home. Yes. Yeah. Even with training, I mean, we we see it all the time that people have died while in training on stateside or critically injured, and it's really scary. And so, yeah, uh, a lot of people don't realize uh, what we face and what we risk every day. And then you could say, well, why is this necessary? Well, the thing is you have, I mean, okay, Russia just invaded Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You yep. have um, cartels in South America that will love to, to, to get across our borders and do a lot of harm to, you know, to us and change our system of government and have more money, power, and influence if they could. Yep, yep. China and Russia also with the cyber warfare and things, those types of stuff that can make a lot of changes. I mean, cyber warfare is something that has been really taken off in the military. And that's something that they are really focusing on now, too, not just in person or uh, even there, because now we have drones that can do all of the things remotely. So it's, yeah, the military does a lot more than a lot of people don't realize. And we do that, a lot of that stuff, before you even wake up in the morning. Before you got your coffee in the morning, think mm-hmm. a veteran. <laughs> yes. Just think of veteran. <laughs> let's just say, this, 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 you know. Pour a little bit out for a veteran one day when you're getting some coffee at Starbucks or something like that, you know? Yeah. We don't ask yeah. for much. We just want health care. That's all we're asking for. We don't even, don't, nobody's asking for a ton of money. We barely get paid well. All we're looking yeah. for is why is it so when we come out, you have the infrastructure already in place. You have hospitals and VA systems all over the country. Mm-hmm. You have military bases. Yeah. You have hospitals and things. You have the training. You have people. I was in a medical company. I was a mechanic in a yeah. medical company. I mean, we there was there were trained nurses, doctors. Doctor Arnold was a surgeon. Doctor Arnold could do surgery, and, and while he's driving a car, he can do surgery. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have the people and, then, and the tools and resources to do this type of stuff. So why is it? Oh well, you know, you're out of the military, and we don't want to be bothered with that. And and it doesn't cost extra money. It's, it's not we're talking about crazy money. No, it's not. And the thing is, is that um, for preventative. It actually uh, saves more in the uh, long run is if you uh, pretty much conduct preventative care, dental and other things to actually prevent anything that may happen or get worse. It actually is a bigger uh, payoff in the end. You save a ton more money for the veterans and for the government, honestly, because then they're not having to pay out for long-term residential care that those veterans may become eligible for that have to be nursed 24-7. So those type of things um, could actually save a lot in the end. I really appreciate you, Stephanie. Stephanie. Thank you. Stephanie. I would like to see what could be done. Are you still there, Steph? Yes, I am. I'm sorry. My cat is uh, begging for attention. So oh, my go gosh. Ahead. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to see what could be done in terms of the Ferens doctrine, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's spelled F-E-R-E-S doctrine. It prevents. Ferns. Yeah. It prevents um, service members, veterans, or just military uh, active members from suing. Based on it could be malpractice, military's uh, 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 sexual uh, assault, it prevents them from being whole in terms of having that 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 law that would allow them to pursue what has been done. They yes. need, they need to re- something needs to be done. I think holistically, the military population needs to do something to ask them to change. Or amend that. It's 
it's going it's going down it's chipping off little by little um the ferris doctrine is i mean small strides is happening a couple of years ago um actually vanessa Guillen's lawyer their family's lawyer was actually one that had won just a little part of uh, a win against suing against the government for malpractice and then most recently uh there was another one in the ninth circuit they just won uh, a good case that had been protected by the first peers doctrine mm-hmm. there's just a little bit inches by inches that they that we think that is going to really claw the thing away in the next couple of years so yes there's there's been a great advances on that. I just read, uh, and I think I sent you that article when I saw it, that some judge stated that this um, military a lady has the right to sue based on yeah. uh, sexual, uh, yeah, based on uh, military sexual trauma, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's, yeah, it is. And uh, that's actually, I know one of the lawyers that had helped out with that one. And so I think it, it, was, it was that one. And so, yeah, there's, we're going to be, we're going to see it trampling of the fears doctrine going away it's just got to go slow by slow though thank you for listening to america's heroes group podcast don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode and for more details visit americashg.org